why we don't do candles most of the time. I just, good job, brother. Give it up for my brother. Awesome. Hey, welcome to Celebration Church. We're glad that you are here. And um, if this is your first time, as it, it's already been said, we, we do not want you to feel as though there's no room for you or that there's no place for you or that there's just, um, frankly, too many people here for you to ever get to know people or to, to be involved or, or even to be known. And there is a big fat L over those thoughts. Liar, liar. The truth is we are a church that works really hard at making sure that the more people come, the more that we take care of people. And that is something that I think we have unique in our church. Celebration Church, one more time. Can we just say hello to all of those that are joining us for the very first time? It's great to have you. And those that are watching online from one of our campuses here in Austin or maybe from one of the 13 locations in correctional facilities, and we just say to you that we are believing the best is yet to come. And I know that it's hard, especially at this time of the year, to be incarcerated for whatever reason you are there. What matters is that you take this time to say, God, what do you want me to learn through this season? And I can promise you, you can look back and say it was the best time, though it was the hardest, it ended up being the best time of my life because it was there I found Christ and I matured in Christ. And so we're with you. We're believing God for you. Come on, welcome those that are joining right now. Good to have you guys. Every week I meet somebody that came to Christ or became water baptized or more than anything else that their life was exposed to God in prison or in one of the jails and then they come to Celebration Church with their family. And uh, how many know Jesus said, I was in prison and you should have what? You visited me. You, you, in other words, you're intentional about giving up on nobody and that you don't write off anybody. That is how good God is. How many are thankful he didn't give up on us? He's intentional about restoring us. And that is why he came. I want, before I get into the message, I want to just give just a couple thoughts. First of all, we have what we've been calling our legacy offering. And um, next week, we're going to reveal the number, your generosity, your giving. This week, I just want to give an update as to what your giving last year did. Legacy, for those that are new to Celebration Church, lifts our church forward, lifts it up higher. It allows us to just continue to do more with campuses, not just here in Austin and the buying of property, but also, of course, in Mozambique and in Italy and uh, just the surrounding area. We have been able to, in 2022, in our central Austin campus, and if you've not been down to that location, we've completed our Celebration Kids space and our renovations and our upgrades, and we have a full AVL upgrade beginning in the first half of 2023 as soon as the equipment comes off the train or off of a boat stuck out in somewhere, and um, we're believing the Lord for continued growth. We had a 61% growth in our central Austin campus this year. Come on, let's thank God for that. And thank you for your giving because the building is 35, 30 plus years, maybe older than that. And we're discovering each and every weekend there's another demon in that building, <laughs> asbestos. And so School of Champions in Mozambique, you know, we are not going to win Africa. You're not going to win the world, frankly, in today's culture, but especially in Africa by just doing crusades or just doing church services. You've got to be in the education space. And so we have our school there, which 
of course, is ministering to hundreds of kids. We have just in 2021 completed the science building and our drainage systems. And this year we're going to be adding two more educational buildings. And uh, we've just been able to add classrooms and office space, bathrooms, locker rooms, administrative offices, and mostly a cafeteria. Come on, you can't go without a cafeteria. Where are my boys at that had a good cafeteria? Let me see your hand. Yes, sir. Thank God for the lunch lady. And uh, so we are excited about what's happening. Our students are testing in the 99th percentile on a national standardized test. So amazing things that are happening. Your legacy last year, of course, was allowing us to add kids facility. We were able to acquire new facility in our Caserta campus, and uh, that's exciting. And these are just some very rough pictures, and uh, this is some space for there for the kids. The next one, we take care of our kids better than these pictures look right there. I wouldn't want to go to that nursery, but... I can promise you it'll be a lot warmer than that looks right there. And uh, more office space. And then we've got another location that looks like it's going to come available in Naples, outside of Naples, closer to the city. And uh, we're excited about that. How many have ever been to Naples, Italy? Let me see your hand. How many would like to be a part of our Naples campus? Okay. And uh, we give free Gucci bags for those that go and serve. <laughs> Louis Vuitton is one of our members. We're excited about her uh, or him. I don't know who Louis is. Uh, Louisa. That's Louisa Vuitton. Yes. That's the kind of bag I bought Lori. It's a Louisa Vuitton uh, in New York City underneath one of those stores. You know what I'm talking about. And, um, and then our prison expansion as we're in the correctional facilities, we're installing and we continue to install in each of these facilities. That right there is the Coleman Women's Correctional Facility, and they're allowing us to put permanent audio and video systems in there so they can continue to have a great worship experience. And then lastly, your legacy giving is going towards our four-point kids ministry, which is, of course, adoption and fostering and training families. It takes, and it costs $5,000 per family to be equipped by the state to train a family. We've got 15 families right now. We provide that money for those families to adopt and to foster care. And how many know the state of Texas is overwhelmed by the foster care needs? And we as a church want to be in that space. And we've got 10 families trained and are fostering right now, 15 that are in training, and 10 new families to be added in the next few months. Your giving this week will be a part of the total. You can give until the end of the year, of course, or until the Lord comes back. But we'd love for your number and for your gift to be included in the total and uh, we're believing the Lord for blessing upon blessing upon each and every one of you. Before we get into the word, let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are here. Speak to us. Just minister to us. I don't want to leave this place without being changed and without being impacted. And Lord, we give you the room. We make room for you today. We prepare room for your presence in our lives. And all of God's people said, Amen. Every year we do what we call celebration or Christmas at celebration. And this year we thought for our theme, not just Christmas at celebration, but we're going to add that word Advent Christmas at celebration. How many were in a church or you were raised in a church that 
recognized Advent. Let me see your hand. Of course, Advent is more of a traditional route, and that is where you're recognizing the Advent, or the word is Adventus. It's where, in the Latin word, it just simply means the arrival or the coming of Jesus. And it's in his arrival or in his coming that he brings to us what Advent highlights in the form of hope, joy, peace, and love. And we're going to be talking about these four subjects as it relates to when Christ came to the planet. He came, of course, it was God in flesh, but he came to express, but more than that, he came to manifest, he came to display or embody those four subjects, those four topics, but they're not just subjects, they're not just topics. We're going to be talking about this today. It's a person. Today, in particular, we're going to be talking about hope. And one of the things that those that recognize the Advent season or the arrival or the coming of Christ, and of course, the coming of hope, the coming of peace and joy and love, traditionally, they, write, they light a candle, and we're going to light a candle and I'm going to believe that my lighter is going to work in Jesus' name. I took this off a guy that was lighting cigarettes in the back. And we said, give me that. We're going to use that for the kingdom of God. I, I want you to just maybe do the same at home with your family. And I think that there's something powerful. There's just something, obviously, in the lighting of a candle. It, it brings to us the, rea- the reality that we know who Christ is. He's the light of the world. And I love this thought when it comes to 1 John. Watch this. John writes. He says, what was from the beginning? What we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, this life, this word, which was life, which was our creation, which was Our beginning, the word, of course, didn't begin. Christ did not begin in a stable. Christmas didn't begin in a stable. It didn't begin in a manger. From the very beginning, he's always existed. But he came. He came, the word is Jesus. He said, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God. The word was with God, and and the word became flesh. And nothing comes into being except by, by the word. So he says, this word, the word of life, was manifested and came and manifested among us. In other words, so that we could touch this word, that we could see this word, that we could experience this word. This was not something, of course, that man created. This is not a Christmas season in the sense that man created this whole concept of God and this whole beautiful story of a hero. This is this was way beyond us, he says. And we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and then was manifested in Christ to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So when we talk about Advent or the coming or the arrival of Jesus... When he came to the planet, he frankly came, of course, so that you and I would experience a revolution. Now, the revolution in this way was man 
in his attempt or in his approach or in his way of trying to, to come to God and to have God, how many know when man puts his hands to something, it messes up the recipe? How many know it just completely perverts the recipe? It, it switches, it changes. And of course, we know what happens when man begins to do what he thinks he needs to do when it comes to God in the sense of, of man having a relationship to God. Man begins to create rules. He begins to create a system. He begins to create a profession. And of course, we know that there is in the world of the spiritual life, in the spiritual world, there's, there's professional spiritual teachers and, and preachers and instructors and we could talk about leaders and, of course, rightfully so, and even scripturally, rabbis and, and those that would be the experts of the law or the experts of the word of God. And these experts and these teachers, instructors and professors would teach on their subjects and their topics and their concepts. But the difference between Christ and every other, if you will, instructor or teacher was that they are teaching something that they are not nor can they be. Christ comes, and the revolution is this. He is the subject. He's going to make the gospel that he's going to preach about. And I know that might be a little heady for some of y'all non-Cajuns around here. It's like, what is he talking about? Reminds me of Boudreaux and Thibodeau. They went to New York City. True story. They went to go up there to see the Rockettes. It was just yesterday. A friend of mine called me. This is, tr this is true. And uh, they'd never been into a building big enough where they had what they call an elevator. So Boudreaux, he goes with his son Thibodeau, and they're standing there outside of this elevator. They don't know what it is. All they know is that they see, they see people coming, and they see people going, and they're standing there. And, and here comes this old lady, and she pushes the button, and they, they, they're not going into those doors. They don't know what that room is in there. And so Boudreaux is standing there with his son Thibodeau, and this old lady walks up, pushes the button, she gets in, and they watch the numbers go up to one, two, three, all the way to the 84th floor. It was down there by the World Trade Center, used to be. And, and uh, he says, a few minutes later, the numbers go back down to one, out, some, out walks this beautiful 23-year-old girl, just gorgeous. He watches another old lady get in, and she disappears, and then the numbers go up, and the numbers go down, and out walks this most gorgeous young lady. And Thibodeau, the little boy, says to his daddy, Daddy, what's going on? He goes, I don't know, but go get your mama. <laughs> I want to talk about hope today. I'm not kidding. We're going with hope. How many have those hopes? <laughs> you could stick somebody in that elevator, and they're going to come out all different. Somebody like, you know what? I like that one. Oh. Some of you thought I disappeared last weekend because LSU was beat by Texas A&M. I did not do that on my own will. My therapist said it's probably better that you do not carry that spirit into your church. So I was just doing what my therapist told me to do uh, after last or two weeks ago against Texas A&M. Where are my Aggies at? Let me see your hand. Yeah. I didn't say let me hear you. I just said let me see Y'all can't do anything with that. Ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> but you can thank LSU for keeping your coach for another year. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm not going to get into that subject. 
You ought to stick him in an elevator and then just see what walks back out. Okay. So Jesus, when he comes to the planet, he's not just, he's not a baby. See, he's from the beginning. He's the word. Understand something. This is not a baby. He's the word. It's the mind of God. It's the heart of, he is the mind of God. He is the heart of God. He's why the creation exists. He's why there is a world. And everything came out of him. But he came in this form. He manifested in this body. And this body of this baby, of course, we know it was not by the life of Joseph and Mary. It was by the life of the Holy Spirit. For the word, this life was placed in the womb of Mary. Because there needed to be not another instructor and not another preacher and rabbi and master there didn't need to be another lecture. There didn't need to be another class, a master class. How many do some of those things? We didn't need an, another, another convention or another conference. We needed God himself. That is what Christ came to do. That's the revolution. And when he comes down to this planet, he comes to not speak about today as we're going to be covering hope. Or when we talk about joy and peace and love on our Christmas Eve service schedule. He came to demonstrate. He came to manifest, to display it. This was not something that he came to, if you will, give only. Or to say. No. He says, look on me. This is what John was trying to emphasize when I saw him, when I heard him, when I touched him, this life, not this subject, not, again, another truth, but he being the truth. Jesus said over and over, I am. This is what Jesus constantly was doing. He says, I'm not just giving truth. I am the truth. I'm not just giving away. I am the way. I'm not just giving you a door. I am the door. He goes on in all sorts of ways. He says, I am the resurrection. Do you realize resurrection is not an event? It's not a time. It's not a, uh, it's not a concept. It's, it's a man. So when you're in him, when you're touching Christ, when you're in fellowship with him, because that's what John says, the whole goal from the beginning has been you would know this life and that you would have relationship or fellowship with this life. This fellowship with Christ brings fellowship with the Father, and it brings fellowship with us. And therefore, the reason why we are in such hopelessness in our world today is that we can trace it back to the very beginning, and that is we have lack of real relationship, not with each other, but with God. And so we buy into lectures and we buy into preachers and we buy into teachers and we get on our podcast and we get in on all sorts of YouTube or we listen to TED Talks all day long. And I'm all for it. It's any way we can get wisdom. The Bible says in the multitude of counselors, there's safety, there's, there's wisdom. But I want to say to you on this Advent season that you and I need to realize that Christ was who he said he was. He didn't just come to speak another message. And when the professors, or even the Bible says, when they heard that there was this king born in this stable, 
It says that Herod, along with all of Jerusalem, was troubled because he was bringing a revolution. He was going to upset the profession, the religious profession, but he was going to upset what people thought made them right with God, and that is their own strength or their hope in themselves. And God says, you can't have hope in yourself. You have to have hope in me. Peter, who is what we would call a second chance man. Peter in the Bible, as it relates to hope, we know what Peter was. Peter was the man that said, I am not a loser like the other 11. (laughs) Jesus, if you want hope in someone, have hope in me. I will never deny you. I will never cheat on you. I will be faithful to you. I only have one God. I only have one Lord. I will be faithful to you. I am not looking for any other way, any other truth, any other life. And they can kill me if they want, but I won't deny you. You ever heard that from a man? I will never cheat on you. I will never speak evil of you. I only have eyes. I only have eyes for you. Yeah, I want to be Michael Buble. <laughs> I've moved from Bocelli to Buble. Because the more I liked Bocelli, the worse my eyes got. So I am going to... Uh, okay, bad joke. I like Michael Buble. And what Peter was saying is I can have or I can be what you want me to be. Put your hope in me. I won't deny you. And we know what happened. It wasn't just a few days later, Peter is doing what? He's denying the Lord. And he has walked away from God, if you will, in the sense he denied Christ with swearing and with cursing. He didn't just say, I'm not a Christian or a Christ follower anymore. He just said, you know what? I don't know the blankety blank man. I don't know him. Curse him. He deserves to die. Like he went hardcore. And then, of course, we know the story when Jesus makes eye contact with him. He knows as he hears the rooster. That's Easter. I don't want to jump ahead. But you got to understand the context of Peter's words here. Because Peter would end up becoming out of that experience, out of when he, when he failed. If you will, when he lost hope in himself, he had to decide where he was going to find hope. And that's why he calls it this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again. And I like to say it about Peter, and again and again and again. To a what kind of hope? A living hope. Come on, say living hope. See, there's a faith-filled hope. There's There's a true hope, a living hope that's in faith in Christ. But let me just tell you, most of us have false hope, fake hope. We can talk about how most of our hope is, is fleeting. Most of our hope is fake in the sense that it's not living. You know why? Because it's not in a living God. It's not in a person. So when Peter says, I have this living hope, we have been born again to a living hope. This hope that we have is connected to a person. It's connected to a life. It's not connected to your money. It's not connected to your career. It's not connected to your world. It's not connected to your your wishful thinking or your optimism. 
And I'm not against being optimistic. Sometimes that's our problem. We have a misty optic. Therefore, we're not optimistic. You'll get that in a few minutes. <laughs> and I'm not against, if you will, making a wish, but it's, it's false. It's, um, it's fake. It's a fraud. And what Peter is saying, when he says we have living hope, we have a living hope because it's connected to a person. This is the same person who was raised from the dead. And today, as we talk about Advent and begin our first Sunday Advent here, we are talking about what Christ ultimately came to bring us, a hope. A hope that is living. That hope, that word there means zao. It literally means the word living is alive. It's, it's lively. It's active. It's, it's fresh. It's, it's not stale. It's not stagnant. It's, it's, it's not it's not halfway. It's not partial. It's inside of you. People that you and I get around who are the most hopeful, and I'm talking about living hopeful people, are the people that you and I want to be with. But all of us, I think, are aware that we live in a world that is surrounded with a lot of hopelessness. And I want to go to Micah because Micah, the prophet Micah, is going to talk about He's going to talk about a stable. He's going to talk about a manger. But after he talks about the prophecy of where Christ would be born in a manger, we'll connect it all together. I want you to see what Micah the prophet, though, said about the world that he lived in. Woe is me, <laughs> for I am like, and I feel like, he goes, I'm like people that pick fruit or like those that work in the vineyard, grape gatherers. And they go into the vineyard or they go into the farm or they, they go to find what they've been waiting for and sowing the soil for and the seeds for. And he goes, but there's no grapes. There's, there's no fruit. Or the first ripe fig, which I crave. He goes, all I had on my mind was a good fig jam. And he goes, I can't have that. It's not there. In other words, I had a hope for the fruit. He says, then the godly people, I don't find, in fact, all of the godly people have perished from the land. I don't see anyone in our world today that has a heart for just being good people. And then he goes, there's no upright people or person among us. How many have ever wondered, are there any good people left? Just good people. And then he says, all of them lie. Those that I see, those that I'm walking with and working around, he goes, people are just lying in wait for bloodshed. They are waiting. That word bloodshed means to post on Facebook. They just want to attack. They just want to kill and destroy. There's just lies everywhere. People are just seemingly constantly looking to to hurt one another. Then he goes, I see in a world, this is Micah now thousands of years ago, but it sounds like our world today. Each of them hunts the other with a net. Paparazzi. But not just paparazzi. It doesn't take famous people to walk through this. We've all had people set nets for us to try to catch us, to ensnare us. Concerning evil, both hands do it well. Literally, he says, I see in a world today where people are ambidextrous when it comes to sin. 
They're not just left-handed or right-handed. They do everything. They can do all sorts of evil stuff, left-handed and right-handed. And then he goes into authority, if you will. He goes into the governmental realm. He goes, the prince, they ask, as well as the judge, for a bribe. People are on the take. People don't stand for truth. People are looking for bribes. They're looking for money. They don't serve the people with justice and with righteousness. Sounds like Washington, D.C. And if you work there, God bless you. My son does. He says, a great man and the great people speak the desire of their soul. In other words, they're speaking their desire. They're speaking their will, not God's will. They're not out for what the people need. They're out for what they want. And he says, so they weave it together. It's all connected. In other words, there's this web that feeds one another. No one wants to upset the revolution or nobody wants to deal with what is being done because it's going to upset all of their incomes. If you make this a deal, it's going to affect us all. In other words, how many would agree with us? We see this in our world today. And I'm not just talking political. I'm just talking about we live in so many complicated scenarios. And, and frankly, it messes all of us up when it comes to our hope. What he's describing is, not only have I become hopeless as it relates to my, of my work and my labor and my, my um, income, because he's talking about in the beginning, he's talking about I don't have a harvest, I don't have a return on my work, I, I, I'm hopeless when it comes to seeing good people, where are good people, and then now he starts talking about leaders and those that are in authority and how he doesn't see those people conducting themselves in a way that's going to make our country or our, our government healthy. And then he says, let's go. He says, the best of them is like a briar, the most upright like a thorn hedge. In other words, that thorn or that briar, he's describing people who can be really nice on television or really nice in front of the people, but then, and then all of a sudden, but they're thorny, or all of a sudden they can prick you, they can hurt you. Then he says, the day when you post your watchman, he says, your punishment will come. Then their uh, confusion will occur. Do not, verse 5, do not trust in a neighbor. He goes, I, I see that even in my neighborhood we don't like each other. Don't have confidence in a friend. Say, do you see the hope? Do you see how this thing is becoming hopeless in his mindset? I don't trust my neighbor. He won't even help me take my trash in every now and then. My friends, I don't have confidence in my friends. He says he's going to meet me for lunch and he doesn't show up. Or they're going to give me a ride from the airport and they tell me to Uber. What kind of deal is this? From her who lies in your bosom, you better watch your lips. <laughs> in other words, we're sitting there in Netflix, not chilling, but just Netflix, and we're making out and she says, I love you, and I say, I love her. And man, those are lips that you better watch out. They're hot lips. Then he goes, sons are treating fathers contemptuously. Daughter rises up against her mother, daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Notice there are more issues with, with the girls here. I'm just reading what the Bible says. <laughs> hey, take it up with the Bible. Why don't you just rip that page out? But there's a lot of issues with women in this situation, in this home. And then he goes, a man's enemies are the men of his own household. And I want to stop right there because what he's saying is in Micah chapter 7, he goes, I'm pretty hopeless about humanity. From all the way, from the top to the bottom. And I think probably, how many would agree? How many would agree? How many would be very honest and quit being a liar, especially in church? That you find yourself 
being a little on the negative, hopeless side when it comes to our future? Let me see your hand. How many would say, I have actually zero issues and I just believe everybody's perfect and I've never had anybody drop the ball? And of course, no. It doesn't take you long to live on this planet to realize that you're going to have even your own friends, even your own household, even your best buddies are going to drop the ball on you. You probably have dropped the ball. You probably have been. They're speaking about you. They're reading Micah chapter 7 at the church down the street right now. Going, what kind of world do we live in? So what do we do? Why live for God? Why live for good? Why be nice? Why do I even come here? Why do I read my Bible? Why try? I should just stay home and watch the games on Sunday. Or I should just, frankly, let's just forget and call it this whole world one big fraud and one big false hope. Because I was told by my mom, I was told by my dad, good things happen to good people. And it doesn't seem that way anymore. Now, we begin to get into why Christ had to come. Because man will always find ways to screw it up. Therefore, it took a man to come. He didn't give us a message. He didn't say, now y'all stop it. He didn't scream from the bedroom of heaven. He came down. And he got in this world beginning where? In a stable. Why a stable, guys? Because it's where most of us live in dirty places. Around dirty people. Dirty thoughts. It's just not the cleanest. It's just not the healthiest. I'm not saying your house right now is a mess. I'm not saying that your, your kitchen is a mess or that you have dishes in the sink right now. I'm not... No, but let's just get down to where, listen, we all come from stables. And what God did was, he goes, I don't want anyone to think I only came for the healthy or I came for the holy or I came for those that have it all together. I didn't come to stay in the Ritz or the Four Seasons. I came down to get not just in the Red Roof Inn, but the No Roof Inn. How many have ever stayed in a No Roof? Not a hotel, Motel 6, but a Hotel 4. How many have ever done the 4s and the 2s? And the ones. You ever drove by some hotels, you go, how do they stay there? How do they survive? Have you ever been in a hotel, motel where you didn't even take, you just said, kids, keep your clothes on. Just, we're going to use the bathroom. And in fact, some fields are cleaner than some hotels. And he comes down and he gets into this stable. He gets into a manger scene, if you will, surrounded by animals and surrounded by, if you will, not just his mom and, and his dad, but, but he's, also, he's also there because the world, the world doesn't have room for him. This is why we are in the mess that we're in. We have not made room for him. So what do we do? All that to say, this is why Christ came. He came down to get involved in our world. He came down to express, but he came down to demonstrate. Because man can't demonstrate. Man can't express this. 
This is why, let's finish what he says there. In all of his hopelessness, he then gives us, how do you get hope or how do you walk as a hopeful man and a hopeful woman? He says, watch this. He goes, I, but as for me. He says, as for me, as for me. Can we say those words? As for me. I don't know about you, but I know how I'm going to respond. I'm going to hope or I'm going to watch expectantly for the Lord. And I am going to wait, but it also means I will hope. That same word there. I'm going to hope for the God of my salvation. My God, I have this hope, will hear me. And then he goes, oh, enemy, I'm not going to let you have its way in my life. Darkness, because Jesus came to be the light. Darkness is not just satanic. It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's hopelessness. So when he says, oh, my enemy, I, I know what you're trying to do. You're trying to bring hopelessness into my life. See, the enemy's primary method is to kill, to destroy, and to, to ruin. We know that. But how does he do it? He gets you hopeless. He gets you negative. He gets you mad. He gets you angry. And he's fighting this. He goes, I'm not going to get angry. I'm not going to get mad. I'm going to take authority over me, but as for me, I'm going to focus my mind and my heart and my hope. And then he says, though I fall, I'm going to rise. Though I dwell in darkness, the Lord is a light for me. In other words, what he is saying is, I'm going to put my hope on this living God, this living person, who did not come down to establish Christianity. He didn't come down to establish religion. He didn't come down to establish and to preach and to communicate that y'all just need to get to church and we all just need to come together and you need to pay your tithe and then this guy's going to have a living and then the people that are going to be a part of his staff will have a living and then we're going to buy buildings and then we're going to be able to do more buildings. All of that is not anti. I'm just telling you what ends up happening is we will come and listen to the instructor and to the professor and to you, Pastor Joe, and we're going to sit there and you're going to tell us how to behave and how to live and what's right and what's wrong while we slowly die. <laughs> and then you come back. It's like my son when he was a little boy, Mason. I've told the story, but you need to hear it. He was a little boy. This is the one working in Washington. You'll see why he's in Washington. And he said, as I was putting the bed, I said, what do I do for a living? What does your daddy do? I just wanted to hear what he had to say. He's three or four. And he goes, you scream at people. <laughs> That's what he said. Putting him in the bed. I said, oh, that's interesting. I said, okay. What else do I do? He goes, you hurt people's feelings. <laughs> okay, watch this. It gets better. True story. I said, what else do I do? He goes, you make them cry. What else? He says, you bring them forward and pray for them and tell them to go home. <laughs> and you know what? I went, that's church. I scream at you. Or the preacher screams at you, hurts your feelings, makes you cry, makes you feel bad about yourself. And then I say, but come forward and I'm going to pray for you and it's going to be all better. And then next week, We'll gather back here, and I will ruin your life again. 
but then I will bring you forward, pray for you, and tell you it's okay. God loves you. That's why some of you are probably in church for the first time, only because you're in from out of town, and they said, you need to come to church with us if you want to eat. Or maybe that's why some of you are sitting right now in a jail cell watching this going, that's exactly what it felt like when I went to church. You go to church, you're told you're going to hell, but ask Jesus to come into your heart after I cry for a while and then they send me back home. And then it's true, I do look like I'm going to hell and then we come back. And what happens? What happens? We get sucked into the vortex of hopelessness like the rest of the world. And then you end up with the world and you end up with the church and you end up with people that used to go to church and used to be Christians. Because you know what? They've gotten into what Micah said. If I don't come against this, the spirit of hopelessness, God is good. And what he began to do is he goes, I've got to keep my hope. I cannot allow my hope. And what he kept doing and what he did here in Micah chapter 7 was he goes, but as for me, I'm not going to go down with the culture. I'm not going down with the world. I'm not going to be talked out of God being real. And that when Christ came to this planet, God came to this planet, and he walked among us for 33 years, and he proved who he was. And it all came to the conclusion of a cross, but not just when he died. He was raised from the dead three days later, and that's why hope is living to me, because he is my living hope. He is real. This is not a season. This is a true God. And this is why people died for this. This what always amazes me when people say, the book is a fabricated book written by man and that they made the book up and man wrote the book. And I said, then let me ask you, do you think if they wrote the book knowing that God didn't write the book or that God was not the inspiration behind it and that it was really about man and they're the ones that came up with all these stories, why would they die for that? Why would you die for a lie? Why would you give up your life for this if you knew that this was a joke or if you knew Christ wasn't raised from the dead? If he wasn't real, why would you die for this? Oh, it was just because that's their profession. Yeah, but they would have saved themselves from that. But the Bible tells us they gladly laid down their life because their hope ultimately is not in this world. Their hope is in the kingdom of God that lasts forever and ever. What did Micah say earlier? Micah said, but as for you, Bethlehem, too little to be among the clans of Judah, for from you one will go forth to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago. This is not in a stable. And then he says in Micah 5, 2, from the days of eternity, as for me, he says, when alone I believe my father will never abandon me. There seems to be a theme in the prophet Micah. But as for me, I'm going to be a believer. And to be a believer means to be hopeful. And to be hopeful requires you to have a living relationship. So how do you have it? How do you come to even regaining your hope? This is what I want to give you before we go. How do you regain hope? And maybe you're walking in here today with a lot of hopelessness and maybe you've just lost your hope in people. You've lost your hope in, in life. You've lost your hope in all sorts of things and it's just pretty, frankly, hard to, to, get out of the, to get out of the pit that you're in, the pit of hopelessness. And that's why God came to the pit of the stable. That's why he came where he went. 
and embedded himself because he knows we are all given to that. He came to identify. He came to let you know, I'm not here just to tell you where to go. And He actually came to lift us up and to say, I walked among you. I was just like you. This is why he came to bring a revolution. This is why he challenged the powers and the, the rulers of his day, whether it was governmental or spiritual. Because what they were doing was they were being doorkeepers and keeping people away from God. And God says, I'll take care of it myself. How many are thankful that you can know God for yourself? And that, that's why he says, call no man father, but only God. How do you regain hope? Let me give you a couple thoughts. Number one, as for me, when I am alone, I believe my father, my God, will never abandon me. This is what the stable shows and what it reveals. This is what the Christmas season's about. The hope that when you and I, not if we feel alone, but when we feel alone, God has not abandoned us. Secondly, as for me, he was declaring, when I'm overwhelmed with what I see and feel, I'm going to believe. I choose to remember that God's power is greater than any of my problems. Jesus said these things. I am speaking so that you will have this peace, so that in me you may have peace. In the world you're going to have tribulation. You're going to have problems, but take courage. I have overcome the world. I have a greater power over problems. Thirdly, as for me, when I am confused, God lifts and fits everything into his plan. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Listen, not all things are good. But when you give God room, it will work for good. It wasn't good that my wife was diagnosed with cancer. God does not give cancer to people. Anyone that says, well, God gave me the cancer. Why didn't he give it to everybody? If he can give that away, why didn't he give? If it's, such a, if it's such a blessing, first of all, why did he come healing people and then changing his mind later on and then cursing people? <laughs> He's not a confused God. Can I get an amen? He came to take diseases away. He came to take those off of us. But when we find ourselves all of a sudden dealing with cancers and tumors and issues that come to us, tribulations and trials because of this broken body, this broken world that we live in. God goes, let me work. Let me have my way. And the Bible says it works for good to those who love God. I say it like this, don't be a tailgater when it comes to God. Some of us with God are like tailgaters. Who likes a tailgater? Who likes somebody that gets up on your tail driving? How many, what do you want to do when somebody begins to follow too closely to you? How many do what you want to do? Back off. When God, watch this, when God was bringing the children of Israel over into Canaan land with Joshua, and they're getting ready to cross the Jordan, you know what God told Israel? Back off. Give me a space of 2,000 cubits between me and the ark. In other words, you've got to trust me. But some of us are like, oh, I don't know. God says, stop. Back off. Quit being a tailgater. Doesn't mean don't be close. I'm just saying, back off and trust God. Give him room. Give him room. Let him work.
in that confusion. As for me, when I'm grieving, I'm going to believe that God has a greater purpose. He's the God of purpose. And not only this, he goes, but we exalt, exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. Perseverance, proven character, and proven character. What makes for hope? Character. Proven character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit. That word there, knowing that tribulation, tribulation worketh, tribulation bringeth. That word there is the word for tribulum. A tribulum was an instrument that they would use in agriculture that was a rod to beat and separate the wheat from the chaff. So that tribulum was like a whip, like almost cleaning a a hanging carpet. And that whip or that tribulum would begin to hit against that carpet or hit against that which was hanging so that out of it will come the wheat, the fruit, the substance that lasts. And what he's saying is, find yourself going through tribulation there is a tribulum there is this instrument that God is using and will have his way in separating your life from the wheat from the chaff now no one likes it no one goes yay I'm being whipped with a tribulum what do you want for Christmas a tribulum no you don't But he goes, persevere. Oh, I want hope. No, no, persevere. I want hope. No, get character. No, I want hope. No, God says, prove your character. Proven character will produce hope. Because you got to stick with Christ. You got to walk with Christ and hope will not disappoint. As for me, when I am in lack, I believe God will meet all my needs. And God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. As for me, when I am done wrong, when I have done wrong, or when I have, when I have sinned, I believe that God has paid the price for my forgiveness. Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile, empty way of life, Inherited from the forefathers, but with precious blood of the Lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Christ died to take away your sins. How many are thankful for his goodness? As for me, when I have been hurt, and I and you, we've all been hurt. We've all been hurt by people. I believe God will restore all things. You do the forgiving, let God do the judging. He says, never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. In other words, give God room. Just let God have his way. Let God work. Doesn't mean you're praying the wrath of God upon those people. (laughs) Like, I like that scripture. Wrath, yes. No. Just let God. He's the rewarder. He's the repayer. He does things. He separates the wheat from the chaff. As for me, when I'm in pain, I'm going to believe God that he will strengthen me. God is able. No temptation has overtaken you, but such is common to man. And God is faithful. God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will provide the way of escape also so that you will be able to what? 
endure it. Same spirit that was raised from Christ and the dead will dwell in your mortal body. He's faithful. And then lastly, as for me, when I have suffered defeat, when I'm hopeless because I've lost and I've suffered defeat, I've set back, I've failed, I'm going to believe God. He's going to make me a winner. What do we mean by that? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so in the story, I close with this, in the story of the shepherds in Luke chapter 2. Let's Let's tie it all together. The Bible says in that region, the shepherds were in the fields watching their flock. The angel came and suddenly stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were frightened. The angel said, do not be afraid. I've got some awesome news for you. And it's not just for you, it's for all the people. In the city today, the city of David, there has been born for you, not for them, for you, a Savior, the Christ. Here's the sign He's going to be a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly, uh, the angels, this multitude of, of heavenly hosts, these other angels began to praise God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth among men with whom receive this. And when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said, You know, it's probably good that we uh, go check this out. Let us go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened happened and what has been made known to us and they made their way in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and there it was lying in a manger and the Bible says the shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen just as it had been told to them I want you to know something. You and I, like these shepherds, at the news that there has been born a God, the only true God who has come to this world in the flesh, has come to give us himself in this stable scene, in this manger scene. He brings it down so that not even a shepherd can miss the season. Understand, shepherds were not high-profile people. In fact, they were people that were not considered important. That's why God went. And maybe you feel like you're a shepherd. Maybe you feel like your whole life is in a stable. And God says, oh, I don't want you to miss this season. I just need you to do what the shepherds did. Don't waste another second of connecting to me. When I came into the ministry, guys, I said, Lord, I want to be in the ministry. But I don't want to be a professional preacher. I don't want to just be a love boat captain of this church called Love Boat, Love Church. And my job is just to drive this boat, this church, avoiding storms and issues and keeping everybody happy and, and the spirits happy and the spirits, all you can drink spirits and eat and all this kind of love boat stuff. I said, Lord, I, I don't want to just do that. I want to know you. And then I read John six twenty nine, and Jesus said to know me is the work of the ministry. The work of the ministry is to know Christ. Let me just bring it down to where you are. The work of life. The labor of life. The meaning of life. Here's the meaning of life. To know him. To know him. That word there, to believe on him, to know him, is the same word that Adam knew Eve. They knew him. They knew each other. Not a religion. Not Christianity. I know a lot of people that are in Christianity and they have no concept of Christ. 
Oh, they know the Christianity rules. They know the Bible rules. And they know all of the methods of religions. And they know all the famous preachers and all the teachers. And they watch TBN or any other kind of religious broadcast and podcast. And then you get around them and you go, I don't smell Christ at all in your life. I don't hear Christ at all in you. I don't even like you. And I'm a preacher. I'm supposed to like everybody. But boy, when you get around a real Christian, when you get around somebody that's been with Jesus, you'll scream and holler. But there'll be a reaction. There will be something in you that will identify with your spirit. You've been with the same man that I've been with. And he is full of hope. With every head bowed and every eye closed, how many of you would say, Pastor Joe, I have been in a season where I have been in a negative place in my life. I've just been hopeless. And in my hopelessness, I've been what the commercial talks about, and that is hangry. I'm angry, but I'm hungry. I'm hungry for God, but I don't want to live like this any longer. I want God to do what he did in the life of the shepherds. I want God to do a new work in my life of hope. How many of you would say, Pastor Joe, I want the Lord to baptize me with this living hope that he talks about that is in a relationship to him. Let me see your hand all over this place. Yeah. How many could be a little bit more hopeful? Not necessarily in false hope and not in necessarily what the news of the world is. Just talking about being connected to God at another level. And some of us like shepherds need to get out of our fields and get out of our comfort zone and get out of our little places where we have made ourselves a cave and say, God, do a new work in my life. He's a God of forgiveness. He's a God of mercy. He's a God of grace. And he's here for you today. Can we say this prayer together? Lord Jesus, in this Advent season, I don't want to miss your coming and why you came to fill me with hope. And like Micah, I make a decision. As for me, I make up my mind. I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going to put my eyes on Christ. And Jesus, I need you to fill me again with your life, with your power. And all of God's people said, can we stand to our feet one more time? And let's declare this. Come on, let's adore him like the shepherds did. Oh.